Good morning. You're listening to New Haven's Home for Community Radio, WNHHLP 103.5 FM on your radio dial and streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, and this is Mornings with Mubaraka, your Wednesday morning voice, where we look at national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. I am so excited about my guest today because we are talking about Muslim women in sports, particularly um, with all of the excitement that has happened over the last two weeks and watching the Olympics. I was extremely excited. Not only did the United States have its first Olympic competitor to compete in hijab, which is Ibtihaj Muhammad on the fencing team, um, who the team won bronze. Yay, go USA. <laughs> that was really exciting. But we also had Delilah Muhammad, who won gold in track and field. Um, and we saw all of these images, um, at least I did, on my timeline and on the Internet of Muslim women in hijab who are competing at the top levels of their sports, including this iconic picture that was uh, posted and kind of went viral of the Egyptian team playing a, a European team. I believe it may have been the French team in volleyball. And it's one woman who's fully clothed in hijab, you know, going for the ball against another woman who has on um, just the bikini top and 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 bottoms so it was such a um i think an indication of clothes did not matter that they were on the top of their game but unfortunately for muslim women it is a little bit more complicated than that we know that here in the united states when it comes to muslim athletes we have a plethora of them we can name iconic people such as Muhammad Ali, who definitely wore his Islam on his sleeve, and he was known for that. We have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Hakeem Olajuwon. All of these are greats inside of the basketball arena, but men don't have the same dilemma that Muslim women do, particularly Muslim women in hijab. So today on our show, we have Belkis Abdul-Qadir. So Belkis is a former high school and collegiate basketball star. She really caught my one. I'm, I am from the same city as Belkis and I grew up with her older siblings. So um, I knew that she had this this love for basketball. But I really started following her when she broke Rebecca Lobo's all-time high school basketball score. And so I was like, oh, wow, this kid is going places. So I was really excited, and I have I have personally followed her ever since then. Um, and we are excited to have her on the show today and talk a little bit about what, um, what her career has been like and what's the future of Muslim women in sports. Thank you for joining me, Belkis. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. So I want to do a couple of things th- um, throughout the show today. One, I want to make sure that uh, people who don't know about you, duh, who's been under a rock somewhere, we have to we want to know a little bit more about you as a, as a person. And then we want to talk a little bit about um, um, what it's like for a Muslim woman who wears hijab in sports. So you were born in Springfield, Massachusetts. When was the first time you started being involved in sports? Well, my family is, was full of basketball players. Um, my first time joining a team, I believe I was four years old. And I played on a league. It was like a league called Bitty Ball. And it was a whole bunch of little kids just running around aimlessly uh, trying (laughs) to discover, you know, or find their talent in the sport. So I started very early. And and did you always play basketball or was that just was it a sport that you just tried? So your family was into basketball, but have you ever tried any other sports? Yeah, actually. I was. I played tennis. I played soccer for a year. I did swimming. I um, also took up kung fu, which was one of my favorites. But um, I think I concentrated more on basketball because I just had an early love and passion for it. 
Awesome, awesome. And so you so you played throughout the entire your entire um, grammar school. Um, did did you ever? Um, well, you went into other sports, but you kept along basketball all the way to you got to the high school level. So once you got to the high school level and you were, what was it like playing on a high school level and having to wear hijab? Did you ever encounter any um, any pushback for having to wear hijab? So I I was homeschooled all the way up until eighth grade. Uh, my mother decided to send me to school uh, once she just kind of felt uncomfortable teaching me past middle school. So um went to eighth grade. I started wearing hijab my freshman year. So I played one year of basketball in, for a high school team without hijab. So everybody knew me. Um, I looked like everybody else. Um, shorts, tank top you know, everything. Then the next year I come in and I have sweatpants, a cotton shirt on, and uh, my my hijab tied around my butt. And some people didn't even know it was I was the same person. Really? And um, nothing, I, I can't, there were a few instances in co- in high school where I was slandered a few times by the fan, fan section at a high school game. Um, you know, it got to a point where they were calling me like Osama bin Laden's relative and all of this crazy stuff. I was getting like people were trying to hurt me in ways, I think more so because of me scoring a lot of points. But, um, you know, there were a lot of hateful comments on one of our Massachusetts websites where people can talk about sports that go on in the area. So um, it was a little tough once I got into like my junior and senior year. And what what um, year was that? Was, was that was, was real? Was that before or after September 11th? What year was that? That was after September 11th. Okay, so this, um, when so, I when when September 11th happened, I was I wasn't wearing hijab at the time. Okay, and so it. Do you feel like things got? Do you feel like it just it got worse after September 11th? Did Did you see a marked difference? I think once I started wearing hijab, it was a few years after that. So I don't think the heat, the you know, the the pressure from that situation was on for hijabis at the time, or you know, Muslims mm-hmm. in general. Um, but I can say it was new to sports in Massachusetts. You know, I was really the only, and I can, and from what I know, I was the only Muslim uh, girl who played a sport covered at that time, especially yeah. in my area. So it was new for a lot of people. Now, did your did you have to get any type of special permission in order to play sports covered? So, for our listeners who are not who aren't sure, I just realized I should explain this. So, a Muslim woman who wears hijab, the women in sports, they are covered from their feet all the way up. So, arms have to stay covered, legs have to stay covered, and the hair is covered as well. So, a Muslim woman who plays sports, even when the sport Re, um, uniform may be shorts, then you would modify the uniform of having maybe leggings or something underneath it and a long sleeve shirt underneath your jersey. So you stay covered. So you in, essentially wear the uniform on top of something that covers you for people who don't, um, who was is wondering what is, what's a jab anyway. <laughs> um, so as we, so as you, um, as you had to change your uniform, did you have to have special permission or did you kind of like just show up covered? No, definitely had to have uh, special permission. So I, my coach carried a waiver around to everywhere we traveled to to play. Um, some referees kind of already knew who I was. Some referees made, you know, tried to make it an issue. And um, so we were always prepared with the letter. I had to get, I had to get it cleared by um, our high school, like, I don't know, I forget which conference, basically. So, um, yeah, I had to go through a few hoops, but everything everything panned out fine. Do you feel like the, so as you, so I began to, to pay attention and follow your career when, um, I believe I saw it as a news article, when you beat Rebecca Lobo's Massachusetts record for the most points scored in during your high school career. Am I correct? That's the the record, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and how many yeah. points was that? So the record was at two thousand seven hundred and eleven, uh, and I ended up 
I think, with 3,070 points wow. at the end of my career. <laughs> wow. Now, since you've been in high school, has anyone broke your record yet, or is it still standing? No one has broken it yet. Okay. No one. So <laughs> Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'll be excited, you know, once that happens. Um, I have a niece who is, is kind of headed in the same direction as myself, so God willing, she'll be able to, to show some skill and maybe get get up there with me. And how old is she? She Right now, she's 11 years old. Okay, so she got a couple of years to get some practice in, and she's going to be behind Yeah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, as, so what, when you began to, to obviously create a name for yourself in your high school career, do you feel like that made it easier? Did people have less overt uh, um, um, prejudice against you? Did it make it easier or did it make it harder? Looking back, it made it a lot easier. Um, I think just wearing hijab at a time where you're in your teen years, um, you're trying to fit in and, and still be one of the cool kids, um, you need something to help you get rid of that pressure. And um, basketball was that for me. And, um, you know, when I stepped on the court, I wasn't worried about what I was wearing. You know, I was worried about winning the game and, you know, helping my teammates get the job done. So I would say it made it easier for me just because of that basketball image that I had. And people started to look at me not only just as, oh, this Muslim girl's playing, that I was an actual talented basketball player. Mm -hmm. So it definitely helped. um, It it helped a lot for sure. So as so when you graduated from high school, you then got recruited by Tennessee. Am I correct? Am I what I have here? Um, I, yeah, I was recruited by um, a lot of Division One schools. Um, mid-major schools is what they call them. It's not like super top-notch conferences. I got a few looks from some big-time schools, but I ended up signing with the University of Memphis in Tennessee. Okay. All right. And when you, uh, so you, did you go to college on a basketball scholarship? Yes, I was offered an um, athletic scholarship and thank God, you know, it took care of literally every penny. So, awesome. you know, that was a blessing for sure. Awesome. So that's one of the benefits of being really good at your sports listeners. <laughs> All the young people who's Definitely. wondering what they, what can sports do for them? It can get you to college for free. <laughs> um, one of the, <laughs> so at, so at, what was it like once you were at the collegiate level that, um, so what was that experience like wearing hijab at the collegiate level? Again, that, well, that's where everything kind of broke through. So, Playing Division One basketball, I think I was the I was the first um, Pajabi to play covered at the Division One level, and um, well, I'm sorry, Muslim women to play covered at the Division One level, and I think when I got recruited to Memphis, a lot of people already had some whispers about who I was, you know, that there was a Muslim coming to the school and she's going to be on the basketball team, so there was already like a preview of what the situation was going to be. Um, it got a little different once we started traveling and playing games around at these different places. Again, I had to get a waiver uh, to, to wear what I had to wear. Um, it was funny. Sometimes I would walk and I was, you know, co-captain and captain of the team. So before a game, you have to go speak to the referees. Mm-hmm. And they'll look at me. Or I can feel everybody looking at me when I used to walk in arenas. And, you know, people used to just, I can see them lean over to the person that's sitting next to and say some, you know, whisper to him, like point at me. And it was getting, at one point I was getting upset, you know, like what are these people looking at? Like, you know, I'm just here to play, whatever. You know, I just didn't understand it at first. But, um, you know, the rest would ask questions like, I'm sorry, but you can't wear that. And I'm like, do you really think I would have all of this on for no reason? You know what I'm <laughs> saying? So I think some people were a little blatantly ignorant about what I was wearing or how I looked. But other than that, um, I can't complain too much about being in college. Now, were you, once you, once you were at a collegiate level, was there ever, did you ever play against any other schools that had hijabis on the team? Or were you also still the only one? Never, never played against another hijabi all my whole four years. Wow. Okay. 
Now, yeah. on a collegiate level, did you have to go through the same thing as you did in high school where you had to get uh, the waiver um, from the governing body? Yeah, so we had to go to the NCAA um, to get to get my uniform approved. So they just had small um, they just had small uh, changes. So I had to have like my long sleeve had to be the same color as my jersey. Um, mm-hmm. I could only wear black bottoms, and my the scarf that I wear had to be black. Okay. So they just had um, just a few requests, but it wasn't hard at all, and um, they. You know, that I had to carry the letter around everywhere I went as well. Okay. If you're in just college. to if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM on your radio dial and streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim and you're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka, where we're talking to Belkis Abdul-Kadir about Muslim women in sports um, and Belkis, tell me a little bit about how your teammates reacted to you to you wearing hijab or having to modify the uniform. My teammates made it so easy. Um, a lot of them always mentioned how I was the first. Like, they didn't know Muslims were cool. And they always <laughs> used to say, man, I never, I never had a Muslim friend or I never knew a Muslim. I didn't even know Muslim, Muslim girls were cool like this, you know? So <laughs> awesome. it was funny how you know, I, was, I was their first Muslim friend or teammate. And the respect level that they had for me, for my prayers, for wearing hijab, like there were at times when they would remind me like, oh, Keith, did you pray yet? Keith is my nickname. Um, Keith, did you pray yet? Or, you know, if there was, if, 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 one of their friends who was coming over our apartment, and it was a guy, they would be like, um, let, let me let my friend know that she has to be covered, you know, before you come in. So they were so helpful, um, never hateful. And it, my teammates actually were, they, they made it an easy road for sure. Awesome. That is, that's absolutely, that's absolutely wonderful. Now, let me ask, did you, do you ever feel like there's extra pressure on you being a, Kind of like not just an example for other Muslim girls, but you being the only Muslim that they've ever met, kind of like you represent every Muslim to them. Did you find that to be a lot of pressure or did you not feel that pressure? Oh, man, so much pressure Um, in both for Muslim young Muslim girls and the people that, you know, I met or crossed paths with. um, It's hard to try to stay on track, you know. Um, I was in a college, college, college experience is hard within itself. Um, I'm, I was always the only Muslim in the groups that I was with. So it was, sometimes it was hard to balance. And I can say that, you know, I know I've made mistakes and I, you know, try to fix those mistakes as I got older and, you know, try to withhold, just, just, keep my Islamic identity as strong as possible. Um, but I can say being a young Muslim woman, like in those, in those environments was definitely hard. And, you know, wearing hijab was hard for me. Mm. And I think early on when I first started wearing it, you know, I wasn't doing it for the pure reasons, which is for God, you know, I was doing it because I didn't want to disappoint my mother or, you know, or my, my parents. Um, and it was a, it was it was a tough road, you know. When you don't feel feel things in your heart, it's hard to do. <laughs> so um, as time went on, of course, you know, God blessed me with that that purified feeling, and I started to love it. And once you start loving who you are, then you can be that person all the time. And so, what so what advice? That's a really good point. What advice would you have for young girls? Because particularly now with this you know, extreme Islamophobia m- more than we've ever experienced probably in the history of America um, in the election cycle and all of the stuff that's going on. Wh- what would be your advice to, to young girls, particularly to teenagers who's struggling right now wearing hijab? I would just say that we have to remember why we're on this earth. You know, our, our, our faith and our Islam tells us, you know, everything we do is for the sake of God. And one thing I had to overcome was not trying to please everybody or not trying to fit in. 
or not worrying about what people think of you. And, you know, I know it's tough. You know, it, it, that don't ever change. You always have this small feeling to want to be accepted. But, you know, we're, we're different. You know, we're always going to be different, regardless of if you wear hijab or not. You're a Muslim. You know, everybody in the world isn't Muslim. And so I would say this, these social media pressures, these, these, these social, this, this image that women have to live up to, like, we don't have to do it. You know, and I think the beauty of hijab is that it keeps us from stressing about, oh, man, I have to do my hair this way. Oh, I can't wear this. I, you know, we're, we're so modest in our dress that it doesn't even matter. You know, I think Allah gave us that blessing to not have to struggle with fitting into these, these images, especially today. And, I, and, and it's tough, but um, I would just say hold, hold strong to, you know, your iman, your faith. And, you know, Allah makes it easy for those who are trying to do it the right way, at least having the, the, the right intentions to do it the right way. Mm, excellent, excellent advice. So now throughout, co- now, throughout college, um, you, dem- were you breaking records? Were you, tell me about your college, your college basketball career. Whew, my uh, college basketball career, you know, didn't, didn't go as planned. Um, you know, I dealt with a lot of issues and situations with, with my, with my coaches at the university. Um, you know, it's college is college basketball or college athletics is definitely a business, you know? So when you're recruited, you hear things that you want to hear. And then when you get there, things change, but I can say the, the trials and tribulations that I went through through college made me a better person, maybe a stronger woman in so many different ways. But um, I, I still I still played my hardest. I did actually, if it was a big record, but I did score a 1,000 points in my co- for my college career. Awesome. Um, that's a big milestone to reach during college. And um, I just, you know, I tried to be, the, be a leader on my team whenever I was asked. So I, I think I, I held it down as much as I could despite um, – the rough terrain that I, that I went through. Okay. And so, and after college, now you get to a point where you're considering going pro, correct? And tell me about how that came along and, and what derailed it. So, um, I, I, the process to go to play professionally, you can either play in the United States in the WNBA. Um, you know, it's a, that's a very political side of sports. So, you don't get invited there, you know, it's, it's, it's for certain reasons that you don't get to play at that in the WNBA. Um, but my shot was to, my dream was to go overseas and play in different countries. And uh, I had an agent to help me get over there. And I had a player profile together. And then I found out that FIBA, which is the athletic, pretty much an NBA in Europe, uh, has a rule banning anything, headwear, anything bigger than a headband, so like an athletic sports band. Hmm. So um, I found out that I couldn't play because of my hijab. And So so would that have been, been an issue in the United then. States, though? Would that have been an issue for the WNBA? Um, Not that I know of. I, I There's never been a, a Muslim woman in the WNBA, so I can't really say that, but uh, I don't think it would have been. And so what's the process for, for playing for the WNBA? Well, um, you have to be, you have to get invited. So if you're not one of the top 35 players in the country, then you don't really okay. get too much of a shot. Um, it, and it doesn't matter how good you are. I think they already have, kind of have who they want in the WNBA. They already have them picked the year before. Okay. All right. So um, it's, a very, it's a very tough process as far as that. And so, and but, so, um, to play in Europe, you can apply. So, what's the process you like? You don't apply. It's basically the same situation. Uh, if you're if you're a good player and they they like the film, you send you send teams film, or your agent usually does that work for you. So, your agent um, is like the middleman between you and a professional team overseas. Okay. So, if they like you, if you have good stats. If you had a good career, college career, you're a strong player. Um, they'll, you know, they'll offer you a contract. 
So I didn't even get to I didn't even get to that stage because of the rule that I or the the rule that FIBA had on hijab. Okay, and the, and FIBA governs all of Europe, does it? Yeah, FIBA basically not all of Europe, but that's the main league that they have. That they're the main organization that runs those different leagues in in overseas. overseas. They're our WNBA equivalent. They, yes. Okay. Exactly. All right. For men and women. Okay. All right. So one of the so I know that you have been bringing awareness to the issue of being able to play hijab and tell me where where are you? Because I I know that I've signed a couple of petitions online to get FIBA to reconsider <laughs> their headband their headband rule. Um, where are you in that process or contributing to the right process? Now, they were supposed to make a decision this month. Um, that got pushed back because of the Olympics, they said. And so right now we're just waiting to see when they decide to meet and make a decision. Um, I've been doing a lot of interviews. I've been doing a lot of petitioning. Um, you know, I started like a little campaign when it first, when I first heard, found out about the league called Muslim Girls Hoop 2. And it was just to bring awareness, you know, that, Muslim women, and not even about basketball, just Muslim women are, we're normal human beings. And, you know, the fact that we cover our bodies doesn't have anything to do with our physical abilities, Mm. any type of ability that we have. And so right now I'm just hoping that FIBA sees they, they work, they're in cahoots with the U.S. Olympics. So, you know, they're all a part of the Olympics this year. And they see, they, I hope that they, they had to see all of these gabbies all these different, you know, different people that participated this year. So, you know, God willing, something breaks through and, and they, 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 they hop on board. That's what I'm hoping for. So we know that the, um, and I may get the other acronym wrong, um, FIFA, who is over soccer, they have recently, they're doing like a two-year trial, am I correct, of allowing the hijab do you think that that will influence FIBA in any way? Well, FIFA for soccer, they actually removed the ban. Oh, did they? Okay, I read an they old article. The, yeah, so they ended up they removed the the rule on hijab and Muslim women can play covered um, in soccer for for the FIFA leagues. Um, FIBA, I don't get what's so hard about the situation. Um, they you know, they say that hijab is a safety hazard, that we can possibly hurt ourselves or someone else. Uh, the question is, with the material, yeah. you know, I don't get how a piece of cotton or whatever material it is can hurt anybody. I've played 10 plus years with my hair tied up, and I've never hurt myself or anyone else. You would think that it would actually play, it would be less of a risk than if you had, like, a band in your hair that could pop off or something like that. Or braids, like a lot of a lot of the girls have extensions, and I've got whipped in the face with braids (laughs) multiple times. (laughs) So, tell me a little bit about um, the. So we so now we're just waiting for FIBA to get back to you or get back to everybody about whether or not they're going to lift the ban. Is it so? When did you when did you graduate from um, college, and how long of a window do you have where you can actually go and play sport, play play overseas? Um, I graduated in two thousand fourteen. Okay, so it's been two and a half years since I was planning on going overseas to play basketball. Okay, and and so what is your window? So if they lift the ban today, would you... Oh, the window. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I mean, as far as you're in, if you're in shape and you still have the skill and, and somebody still wants you to play, I don't think there there's no cutoff age. Okay. So, um, you know, if they were lifted, if they were to lift it today, I'm, I'm kind of battling that thought right now. Okay. In me, I still want to play, but it's been two and a half years, you know, and, and I've started a career. I've kind of lived life. Mm-hmm. And so that would be a decision that I would have to pray about for sure. Okay. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM on your radio dial and streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. This is Mornings with Mubaraka, and today we are talking to Belkis Abdul Qadir about Muslim women in sports. Um, Belkis, tell me about this new documentary that looks awesome and how'd that come along and tell, tell me a little bit about it. So the documentary is called Life Without Basketball. Um, two men uh, named Tim and John who work with Pixella Pixura, um, they found out about my story and they were like, look, we would love to, you know, film it. You know, we'd love to put it on, on tape. So, I was like, okay, it was different at first. It was two cameras following me around everywhere I were. I mean, everywhere I was, um, people just looking and staring. And so they're basically following me. Well, they've been following me for the past two years. And they're just trying to understand more about Islam, more about Muslim women, Muslims in general, sports. Like, they're touching on every subject you can think of. And I'm excited to see it because you know, it's been two years, and I know I've, I'm like two different people in that film. It, it's amazing, like, <laughs> to just, just to think about it. But, um, you know, I think that this film is not, it's not only about basketball. It's about the rhetoric behind Islam the past two years, um, the image on Muslims, the stereotypes. And I think that it, it, it should be a very enlightening, inspirational, you know, motivational type of documentary. So God willing, it turns out good. <laughs> and when is it supposed to, so are they done with the filming part or are they still filming? And when is it supposed to come out? They're actually, they're still filming. So it's ongoing. They're trying to wait until FIBA makes this decision to kind of wrap it up. Okay. So we were hoping that it was going to be wrapped up this month, but it doesn't look like that. So we'll see. So it's all on FIBA's. It's all in FIBA's hands. That's, that's <laughs> everything's in FIBA's even a, hands. Even the documentary crazy. is on FIBA's hands. <laughs> oh my yes! It's, it's, I just thought about it that way. It's crazy. Mind blowing. <laughs> wow. So tell me what what you've been doing since you've graduated. So so what is what is your career and life look like now that you are without basketball, or are you without basketball? <laughs> I can't say that I'm completely without basketball, but I am an athletic director and physical educator at an Islamic school in Memphis, Tennessee called Pleasant View. Um, I was offered the job right after I got out of my, my finished my master's degree. This is my second year. I just started the, the beginning of my second year, and it's an amazing school just to be able to be around people who understand you, who look like you, who believe in what you believe in. It's just, you know, honestly, I can say that right now this is a dream job and, you know, I'm thankful for this position. And I also train um, young girls in basketball, actually boys and girls. And so I'm still in the game. I still practice and play for fun um, at a gym at LA Fitness. So I'm still getting my, my basketball in. I still train. I still work out. So I can't say that I'm completely without the sport that I also love. <laughs> so are you doing, are you training people in addition or training young boys and girls in addition to your position as the athletic director or a part of it? And is this um, a, is this an elementary addition. school? Um, the school that I work at is pre-K to high through high school. Okay. So it's actually one of the larger Islamic schools, um, in the nation. And, okay. um, my basketball trainings are in, in addition, so it's kind of like my second job. Okay. And um, so, you know, I always look forward to getting some basketball in. Okay. Awesome. That's good. So, and and you said that it's a dream job for you. So tell me with with what you're doing um, with your documentary and you're bringing awareness to FIFA. Is that bringing more awareness to the teams that you're coaching, that you're directing? Yeah, so actually just the school as a whole. Um, I, I also coached for the first time soccer, and um, I thought I hated soccer until they asked me to coach one of our teams. <laughs> and it's, it's actually, you know, it's just the, the documentary, just 
people probably didn't even know that there was Islamic schools, you know. So, like I said, that film has covered so much in, in such a short time that um, it, it should be a very informative, should be very informative for a lot of people who aren't Muslim who watch it. Okay. And and when it comes out, is it going to be something that's going to be available on DVD? Will we, will we be able to request it in theaters? How are, How can people have access to it? So right now, um, we're hoping that the, the, the film producers are getting funding for it. They are two very talented um, filmers, and they have made some, some nice documentaries in the past. So we're hoping to get some other, like, you know, Sundance films, like those types of films um, or film production companies to get to be interested in it. Hopefully we can get it at film festivals and stuff like that. But I'm sure DVD, um, that would be available. But if it could be on like a Netflix or something cool like that, that would be that would be that crazy. Would, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> now, when yeah. you t- so tell me a little bit about how you how life is in Tennessee and being in a Muslim environment. Do you um, for the young people there, do you think that that? makes a difference in the girls being involved in sports because one of the things that stuck out on stuck out with me is that you were saying that um you even in your entire college career you never played against another hijabi i think that people knowing your stories can be encouraging to young muslim girls who want to play sports do you do you think that your position at the school is encouraging more young girls? And is there a difference between the amount of boys that, that, that are interested in sports and girls and particularly Muslim boys and girls in the school? Yes. Um, I think working at this school and being a role model for, you know, my students who are young girls, um, we've seen a huge increase in our soccer teams. Usually soccer was the main sport. I introduced basketball to the school last year well, reintroduced it to my younger students, and we've had we had like twenty five girls sign up. So I think they look up to me in a lot of different ways. And one way what that I wanted to uh, increase was the the sports area, and I can see that in in so many different areas at the school. So it's good to see. And I know last year when I coached the soccer team for the first time. To see all my 11 and 12 year old students playing in hijab while they play against all of these girls who don't, you know, who are dressed in normal soccer uniform, it just made me like I wanted to relive that with them. Um, I couldn't even, I wasn't 11, 12 wearing hijab. I, I, I couldn't imagine being different. So the strength that they have um, is something that I pray that every young Muslim girl has to to step in whatever environment they're in and be comfortable. And um, I look up to my students just as much as they look up to me. So um, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see. It really is. Oh, that's awesome. When do, So at the, the amount of girls, do you think the amount of girls interested in sports have increased before you arrived? Or because it's an Islamic school, was it just, you know, okay for girls to always play? Um well, no. I mean, they've they've always had PE at the school, physical education, but a lot of them turned away from signing up for sport just because I think you know afraid to look different, or you know their families wouldn't allow them to play. Some families don't allow you know their daughters to play sports. So when I came in and I talked about the importance of just physical activity in general for all of our kids, for all of our children, um, I think a lot of parents opened up. And they felt comfortable after just seeing it and just trying it and to see that, you know, it's good for them mm. socially, mentally, physically, and all in, in a variety of different ways. Do you do you see that there is a, a, a do the parents see a difference in the, the girls themselves once they um, start playing sports? Grades? I'm um, sorry. Do parents what? Do parents see a difference in there? Do they express that they see a difference in their girls and their grades and their attitudes and their, you know, the way that their confidence that is there? Do parents report that they see a difference once girls start playing? Yes. Um, confidence is one of the biggest things that parents have come to me about, like, 
just last week my daughter was saying she couldn't do it and now this week she's doing it and I'm 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 more so I'm teaching so many different things through my physical education and you know our sports um confidence and self-confidence is one of them I think our young Muslims need that especially in these times to be confident and you know to be proud of who they are to be proud of what they look like and that right there just reassures me that I'm that I'm on the right path. I'm doing it the right way of how I'm coaching them, coaching them and how I'm teaching them. Mm. So, um, and just, just, and, and even just being physically fit, being phys- healthy. Um, I know that, you know, I talk, I'm, I'm on my students about what they eat, um, how often they're, they're working out, they go home and just sit around. So I motivate them in a lot of different ways. And parents are very thankful for that as well. Mm. And what is so the so I guess in my own curiosity, is there a is there any different type of response from boys seeing girls play sports more? Um from what I see at my school, I don't because the boys are just doing their own thing, so so I guess I, I, I guess really what I wonder is that is there a general, different level res- of respect because they can see that girls can you know a lot of times some of the the stereotypes for especially um, or what young boys is girls can't do this or girls can't do that does it change the respect level in them interacting or the way that they look at girls when they see that they can do all of those things that used to be considered boy things to do that's true. Yes, I do see. I do see that now that you put it that way. Um, even when they, the younger, our fifth graders and below, they'll play together um, with the boys in the soccer fields during recess. And a lot of our girls are beating them at things. Even in my PE classes, when we do some competitions, you do see that level of respect. Um, it, it, it changes throughout the year because sometimes girls are just better. And uh, oh, I think when I first got here. <laughs> And um, they introduced me to the students. The boys were like all amazed, like, no way. She scored this many points. I never. So I think um, them kind of learning about myself helped them realize, like, you know, girls aren't the only ones that are good at things. Mm. And um, that, that, that's good for them. And I think, I think our Muslim men need to have that respect in general for, for Muslim women and support us, you know. We need support from our own kind, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we lack in our community as far as, like, these taboo issues with Muslim women. You know, we're so quick to talk about how we dress, what we wear, what Muslim women are supposed to do, but, you know, let's talk about what Muslim women, what, what we what we can do, what we're able to do, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that support from our men, we need, we need more, for sure. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. And so for as far as career wise, is this what you had intended on doing? What did you I'm sorry, what did you uh, get your degree in? My bachelor's was in health and human performance, uh, concentration and exercise science. And then uh, my master's was in physical physical education. Okay. So um, I've always, my, honestly, if it wasn't basketball, I always wanted to be able to walk into school wearing athletic clothes and sneakers <laughs> and not have to get dressed every day. And that was literally, I prayed for that. And <laughs> I, I thank God every day because I'm walking into my job wearing sweatpants, sneakers, and, uh, and a dry fit. That's awesome. Shirt. So... <laughs> That's you know it's it's so so I have so I have been a uh, um, a personal trainer and health coach for almost twenty years now and I thought about that to myself the other day when I walked into I I had to go to an office to 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 meet someone. And I was on my way to teach a class and I was saying to myself, I was like, I would never get away to going to a meeting in sneakers if I didn't do it. Exactly. <laughs> and that is such, exactly. <laughs> it is such a little perk to like, you don't have to get all dressed up because they're like, oh, yeah, she's going to go exercise. It's OK. It's OK. <laughs> right. So it's if perfect. I change career, I'm really going to have to do a big adjustment. <laughs> Me same here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, 
So if you're just tuning in, you are listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM on your radio dial or newhavenindependent.org. We are your home for community radio and you're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka and we are talking to Valkis Abdul-Kadir about Muslim women in sports. So let's talk a little bit about current Sports. So we just got done with the Olympics. And I think, of course, like everybody, I picked and choose all of those sports that I wanted to watch, you know, concentrating on on all of the ones that represented Muslim women, where Muslim women <laughs> represented. Um, tell me about what you thought about the Olympics. And, and, and as we saw all of these Muslim women making uh, history. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was a defining moment. Just at the beginning when they walked, when they first did the, the opening ceremony, just to see if they had Muhammad on the front line, holding the, right next to the flag, right next to huge um, Olympic swimmers and athletes and whoever else. Um, that right there, I felt like that's all I really needed to see. <laughs> um, you know, I was living vicariously through her um, in so many ways. It was, you know, it was just, I, it was a proud moment, I think, for women for Muslim women, for African-Americans, um, and just in so many different areas, it was it was a proud moment. And uh, I honestly, the only part that I really tuned in, like consciously tuned in on was the fencing. Um, <laughs> I wanted to see her, you know, if they had to play and compete. And after that, I was kind of in and out. But, of course, social media keeps you up to par and just I didn't know all of those hijabis were in especially the volleyball player that was a shock to me um just in just finding out all of the other Muslims who may not have been visible like Delilah Muhammad like that those are those are all beautiful things so you can see just the different I don't I, I don't even just to see the variety of Muslims you know coming from all these different countries actually playing a sport I think that was just huge in itself. And and to me, not just playing the sport, but they were, they are the best in the world to have. So I think exactly. that for me, <laughs> uh, for me, what was significant about that. And I think that what is significant to me about your story as well is that every, every person, particularly every woman should have the ability to play and be her best at whatever she's trying to do. And there shouldn't be arbitrary, you know, rules placed upon her. Like, you know, you can't tie your hair up in a scarf that's more than five inches <laughs> and as if that, you know, somehow affects your hoop shot. <laughs> you know, so right. to show that, that all of these women in all of these different sports. And, and I think that I was the same. I certainly was focused on um, fencing and I just love track just in general. So I watched track and I actually didn't find out about Delilah Muhammad until she competed. And I was like, saw her name and then I went and Googled her and I was like, Oh wow, look, <laughs> she's Muslim. That's, um, So that's crazy. Yeah, I know. So that to me, that was awesome because it was like it, that, what you believe in your heart does not affect your ability to play a game and to play a sport. And people shouldn't be limited by that. Um, particularly when you, when it actually enhances the type of person that you are. Um, so exactly. with, all, with all of the, the rhetoric that goes around, around Muslim women in hijab, <laughs> what tell us, so as we come to the end of our show, tell us what you want us to leave us with. Um, in general. And that's one thing. And two, I always let you go with two questions. What do you want to leave us with? And how can people be, be in touch with you or follow you and, and keep up with what's going on with you? Okay. Well, one thing that I would want to leave you all with is, uh, hmm, how can I put this? I know it's a cliche uh, quote, but you know, what I think of is don't judge a book by its cover. And I say that because right now in the world, you know, Islam, Muslims, Muslim women, especially Muslim women, because we wear our faith on us every day, is to respect us, you know, respect who we are. And if you don't know why we cover or you don't know why Muslims pray 
or you don't know anything about Islam to pick up a book. You know, it's 2016. I think we're all smart enough. To, you don't even have to pick up a book. You can use your, your, your cell phones, your smartphones, whatever else. I think today we need to start educating ourselves. And I speak for myself first. Um, instead of believing what you always see. And I think we need to start living for a larger purpose than pleasing the eye of the people in this world. And I think we focus way too much on everybody else except for ourselves. Mm. And I think once you think there's a problem in the world and you, you know, you deem somebody this way or that way, I think that that roots from your own heart. You know, maybe you're the problem. You know, and I think people need to start looking at the world and all these different issues in that manner. Like, maybe I should better myself so I can understand what's going on. That's excellent. And, you know, to all my Muslim young girls who are struggling with the jab or prayer or whatever else, are there any doubts? Um, one thing I know that helped me when I was in those positions was to keep praying. Um, one thing to never give up is your prayer. That is your connection to God, and it always will be. And um, you can follow me on social media. I think I probably almost have every one of them. <laughs> and my Facebook is my name. Um, my Instagram is Kismo, Q-I-S-M-O. And at that point, I think that's in. And I'll have a Twitter as well. Um, I think you can search my name on there, too. Okay, awesome. And so that, that's about it for me. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your thoughts and uh, and to be able to share with the audience your experience and, and, and your story. Um, and the th- again, thank you so much for, for, for calling in. If, if you're just listening, you've been listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM on your radio dial and streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. This was Mornings with Mubaraka, your Wednesday morning voice. Remember, if you don't live in New Haven, Connecticut, you can always get us live stream on newhavenindependent.org or find the podcast 24-7 on iTunes and iCloud. Thank you for listening. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, encouraging you to be a voice and not an echo.